Hi everyone, this is Inside Dance with Taylor and Alex. Featuring your hosts, Taylor Bradley and Alex Yankovich. Yeah, every day we're just out here. Hey everyone, and welcome to Inside Dance with Taylor and Alex. You guys are in for an amazing episode. This week, we are joined by the incredible Sarah Miller-Bate. She's going to go in-depth about her passion for dance and fitness, her love of education and communicating that, spreading that love to dancers of all generations uh, below us, and then also talking about the importance of uh, regulating and setting guidelines for many dance and cheer competitions. So be sure to stay tuned for that because we have a lot of great information that you don't want to miss. But before we get there, let's make sure that we are following each other, that we know what's going on. So feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at Inside Dance Podcast. Also, be sure to follow our sponsors and partners at Inside Dance Magazine. Their handle is Inside Dance Mag. And then be sure to also let us know if there's anything, if you have any recommendations, if there's any topics that you'd like to have covered on this podcast. We want to know. So you can draft us an email at insidedancepodcast at gmail.com or feel free to slide into our DMs. Get a hold of us any way that you can. We would love to hear from you. Alex, how are you doing this week? I'm doing really good. I'm getting so excited because our 40th episode drops next week, which is kind of crazy. That's that bananas. We, it's bananas. And I mean, I, I say it every milestone. It's pretty amazing how many guests we've been able to get in contact with and how we've kind of branched these new uh, friendships and relationships with these people. It makes me so happy. And every time we have an interview and we talk to our, our amazing guests, they always mention, you know, starting a podcast and getting the conversation going. And it makes me feel like our purpose is working and it makes me so happy. What about you? Yeah, no, I mean, retweet to everything you just said. <laughs> and yeah, it's crazy that we're at 40. I feel like we were yesterday, like trying to figure out like, what do we call it? <laughs> and so yeah. it's so cool that, um, yeah, that, that we've, We've made it this far. So big shout out to all of our listeners, because without you guys, it's just Alex and I chit chatting and big love to you, Alex, for uh, for saying yes uh, and for being there uh, for this entire journey. But now, if you have no idea what we're talking about, if this is your first time listening, let's do some quick introductions. My name is Taylor Bradley and uh, my beautiful best friend, co-host Alex Yankovich and I, we started this podcast uh, November of 2020. Yeah. So I don't know, do the math, like nine months. This literally was our proverbial baby. <laughs> um, but we wanted to just talk about dance and bridge the gap between professional, pre-professional and recreational. Um, we want to get the conversation going about the good, the bad, the ugly, the con the controversial, um, and hopefully shift perspective and make the dance community a happier, healthier place for all of us to be a part of. So each week we invite another special guest on to pick their brains, learn from their successes. Uh, they will tell us maybe some of their things they wish they had learned back in their day. So all in good spirits, good love. What did I just say? Yeah, good vibes. <laughs> good vibe. Good spirit, love vibes. All in positivity and hopes to make a positive impact on our dance community. So um, if it's your first episode, guess what? You got 38 to catch up on. So, uh, so yeah, be sure to refer a friend um, and let us know what you think. Yes. And it's so funny. You said the vibes are like the... Uh 
What did you say before? Pause? I don't know. I said like nine words at once and it all just came across. We're definitely not editing it out because I it feel re- like it's charming. <laughs> it reminded me of the that progressive commercial. Have you seen that where uh, the guy is trying to people are turning to their parents, buying their first home and he's trying to undo them turning into their parents. Have you seen this? I haven't, but I oh need my to see God. it now. It's so funny. And um, like stacking too many pillows on the couch and like just worrying about adult stuff when they're like young ho- homeowners. Hold on. And they, I love pillows on the couch though, but anyways, that's besides the point. <laughs> and they have a part where the girl's holding a sign and like the guy who's instructing them, he's like, do we really need a live, laugh, love sign? And she's like, she's like, yes, we do. We need it. <laughs> That's incredible. It's so funny. Well, uh, just briefly for our listeners, we want to dive into our community spotlight this week. So our wonderful guest, Sarah, talks a lot about USASF. And so we just kind of want to dive into their scholarship program that could be available to you or a loved one or a friend or anyone who might be interested. So just a little bit about USASF. It's the U.S. All-Star Federation. They provide exclusive access to events and resources that shape the all-star experience for athletes of all skill levels. They establish safety guidelines that ensure fair play to sanctioning the most prestigious cheer and dance competitions in the world. And they just create this incredible network of people who are there to make the entire process of competition just amazing for you. So just a little bit about something specifically there. USASF scholarship program that for 14 consecutive years, they have selected 16 outstanding high school senior athletes um, and they've awarded them scholarships to support their respective college educations, which is so important, especially when someone has a talent and they want to go off to college and kind of utilize that talent. It's just amazing to help support them on that journey. So the USASF Scholarship Fund was established in 2008 through a deep collaboration between the USASF and their affiliate partners to support member athletes in their collegiate pursuits. All the things we love and support on this podcast. So if you know anyone who might be interested in applying for these scholarships, you can send them this info. Their website is usasf.net slash scholarship. And we will have all of these notes in our description below. All right, Alex, what are we going to chat about today? What is, what's on your brain? What's on your mind? What comes to the forefront when we are mid-September in the dance world? I, I really want to talk a little bit about uh, audition anxiety. And I think for Always. me, <laughs> yeah, I think for me, I've been, you know, used to self-taping and uh, it's kind of crazy going back into your Uh, audition for the first time in a while. And I feel like I've developed a lot of these kind of helpful mindfulness techniques. And I kind of wanted to share them and kind of get your input on them as well. And let's go. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about, you know, all the students that I teach and a lot of them have come to me saying, you know, I'm auditioning for this high school dance team program or whatever it may be. I feel like whatever team you're on, you're always constantly auditioning for certain parts and certain things. And so just a couple of we tips. love growth. Yeah. To get rid of that anxiety. But something I've been reflecting a lot on is as simple as what you're wearing. I feel like as soon as you feel really good in what you're presenting yourself as, and it's not something that you just bought and you have no idea if it's going to fall off your body. I think it's super important to feel really, really confident in whatever you're wearing. And that's like more than half the battle. I find totally. like if you feel comfortable in your skin and, and your clothes, you feel like you can conquer the world. And I, I kind of swear by that. You said three C's 
comfortable confidence and conquer. And I yes. think they're all, yeah, put that on a t-shirt somewhere. Uh, no, but it's true. You're going to dance the best when you're the most comfortable. So, uh, whether that be, uh, knowing how something fits you, not wearing brand new shoes, not trying something in a heel that you've never worn before. Never. Uh, I'm a big sweater. So I know I'm like, Ooh, I got this new top. And then, you know how like shirts don't absorb sweat when yeah. they haven't been washed. Like, I don't know if they put like some spray on it or whatever, but you got to like get that first, like, cr- like crunchy yes. wash out. So then it absorbs sweat. Otherwise I'm just wearing a sauna t-shirt. So, uh, yeah, that's my pro tip to elaborate on comfort is just, uh, no have experience in what you're wearing. Um, and said, I know, oh- a large sweater and it must be fall season because I thought of a sweater that you wear and not I am a sweater. large sweater. I'm a I large man like that a sweats. Large, I pictured a large sweater made of eyelashes. I did not uh, picture. The best time to wear a striped sweater <laughs> yeah. for the SpongeBob fans out there. It's all the time. Um, Yeah, no, that's true. And I know we've talked about um, in past episodes, some audition tips. You uh, mentioned having it ready, having it laid out the night before and like less is more when it comes to stress in the in the next morning um cuz yeah. you're going to have those uh audition jitters and you know for me I don't sleep well the night before same thing with like going to the airport or missing a flight I'm like right. oh gosh oh gosh so the easier you can make your life in the morning have your breakfast done make some overnight oats um and be ready to go. I think that's totally. that's super important because you'll be confident. I, you'll be comfortable and you will conquer. <laughs> yes. And a, thir- a fourth C is uh, comparison and trying mm. not to do that. I find a good technique, uh, you know, when you're feeling kind of nervous and you're seeing a lot of people in the room and you're comparing yourself to this person and this person, I kind of go into the mode where I tell myself, okay, I'm just going to listen really deeply to whoever's leading the audition. I'm going to listen to their details and I'm just going to focus on that. And I'm going to focus on getting this choreography. And then on top of that, as I'm learning it, I tell myself, okay, this is the part where you're going to remain clean and remain in the realms that they, the uh, guidelines that they gave you, but you're also going to add yourself into it. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is the part where I'm going to look forward and linger there for a moment, or this is the part where I'm going to add a little bit of this and knowing how you audition, who you are as a dancer and putting that into the choreography without taking away from kind of what they're telling you. And I feel like if you focus on that, you kind of get your brain. Dare I say, concentrate concentrate on that. But yeah, like your mind gets out of that way of like, oh, I'm comparing myself. I'm not doing as good as this person. You're just kind of like focusing on the work. I hate when people say that. Like, <laughs> focus on the do work. Do the work. But do the work. Truly, it's if true. you focus on it, it's like it takes your brain out of like this false headspace. Headspace yeah. that doesn't well, matter. And so let you just address the brain. I want to talk about the body. Get grounded. Get on the floor. Drop your pelvis. Because when we get nervous, we pull our shoulders up and we're up here. And then we're floating on top of the ground. And I know this from experience because my Broadway Dance Center professional semester um, experience lasted one day because I was so up in my head that I went for a left pirouette and broke my foot. And so I think that could have been avoided uh, had I just been more connected and grounded and like let if I'd let my weight drop into the ground. So find yourself. I always say I call it my tennis player warm up wide second position, soft bend in the knees and just shift back and forth right and left like you're in your ready stance for tennis. I don't know. I played tennis for like two weeks growing up. So <laughs> that's my tennis knowledge. But you said grounded and I have like my leg up on the my desk right now. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm staying super grounded. So grounded. Um, what else? What 
what else? I'm trying to think my audition advice. Um, of course, if there's any sort of, and Alex, I think you can speak a little bit more to this. If there's any sort of clinic or workshop or here's the music or learn the combo ahead of time, do it. Do Put it. yourself forward in the best light that you can. And using those resources are going to be as helpful as you can. Also do the research. Who's choreographing? What is the vibe? What what, what do they want to see? We'll yeah. look at the people they've booked in the past. Are they clean cut, slicked hair? Are they a little messy, a little rough around the edges? And just not that, again, we've talked about this in previous episodes if you're if you're going to a target commercial you don't need to wear a red polo but you need to you know dress smile yeah 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 dress your personality in a way that's going to be attractive (laughs) absolutely costume yourself (laughs) all the seas this morning i hate it i I love it i cannot um i was gonna say also once you kind of get your feet on the ground and you're feeling confident (laughs) it's a really great place to make friends with people to connect (laughs) half of our listeners just push next i read the 30 second they canceled us (laughs) this is not even about dance anymore this is just us having stand-up comedy you said you're sweating and you're wiping your eyes. <laughs> it's a good place to connect. It's a great place to connect and make friends. We think we're hilarious. But truly, you guys, don't be that that uh, person in the corner who's like, I'm not going to talk to anybody. Yo. It's like, uh, obviously, focus. And But once you feel like you, you've got a good uh, grip on everything... <laughs> Sorry, I just was also thinking of another C word instead of grip. I'm catch on everything. No, it's over. It's over. Okay. Okay. Um, But yes, I feel like that's so much fun. It's so great listening to everybody else's dance stories and making friends with people. So that's honestly, it shows that you're a personable person and a human. Because guess what? You're probably going to see those same people in the audition room for the next six to 12 months. (laughs) And so you may as well make friends. And I think it's funny. This is another episode that I want to really dive into later. But the as dancers, I don't know, maybe it's just me being a male dancer growing up in the South but I felt like I always had to be on defense. Like I always had to have my guard up. And I think it gets that way in the audition room as well. People are like, I'm here for blood, which like, cool, great. But also you can just be there to be nice and be a human. So I feel like, when from my experience with my guards up if somebody just comes up and is like hi i'm stephanie i'm like oh cool hi stephanie and you make that human interaction which then makes your overall audition experience so much better because you're not up here you're not uh tight and tense and ready for war you're like oh we're just taking class so i think i encourage all of us and i'm giving myself this advice to be that person take the take the initiative. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're going to like be rude. Cool. Well then don't talk to that person, but I bet you, I bet you that they'll respond to that. And then it's, Oh, where are you from? Who do you know? What have you done? And then that my friends is networking. Agreed. Yeah. Be a human to all those people. You can be out for blood when you get the five, six, seven, eight, and you're dancing, but Mm. also be out for blood while not ruining the formation and being up in each other's grill. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And respect the space and get off the judge's table. Just going to throw that out there. And don't do a backflip off the wall if you're going to break the wall. (laughs) Oh my God. 
Wow. Okay. I think that was. <laughs> I, a, I think that's a good segue for our guests. That that is a a solid amount of cohesive, corrective count. I don't know. Just, okay, we're done. So Let's just, it. no more words. We're going to transition right into our interview, you guys. Uh, stay tuned. Sarah Miller Bait, right around the corner. You don't want to miss it, y'all. All right, everyone, please join us in welcoming the incredible Sarah Miller Bate to the podcast. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. How's it going? What's where where do we have the pleasure of zooming you in from? <laughs> I am currently in Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, I'm originally oh. from Northern Virginia, but my husband and I a few years ago moved toward the mountains. So we live in a, a slower paced area now. We love it here. Oh, beautiful. I was just in Maine uh, for a family wedding and it's so nice whenever I'm there because it's completely different from LA and it's just nice to be around just trees and mountains and water and it I'm a completely, di- I'm a complete, completely different person when I'm there. I, I move way slower. Water. <laughs> that's yeah, absolutely. Sarah, I'm bo- uh, born and raised in Georgia, so I'm very much a uh, Southeastern boy, but yeah, it's funny living out in Vegas now. It's uh, I actually just got back from uh, San Francisco yesterday and I'm like, oh, I forget greenery and fog and moisture. And yeah, <laughs> the moisture. The moisture is a real thing out here. I feel like I always feel a difference when I'm in Vegas and then I come back to California. I'm like, oh my God, like my skin is like. But like it applies to my dancing too. Like I feel yeah. like lubricated when I'm moving, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, not in the desert, but God, whatever. That's so that's... true. Well, Sarah, just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Why don't you tell us where you're from and a little bit about your dance background? Um, so again, I'm from Northern Virginia. I think I had sort of the traditional American start to to my dance life. I started in a combo dance class when I was two and a half, you know, doing the tap and uh, ballet combo class. Um, so I was a studio kid. I, I grew up competing, you know, going to all the competitions that we all know about still. Um, when I got to high school, I actually started dance team in um like just for our high school team and that, yeah. And that's kind of a whole nother branch. And, and it's important to my story because it led me to where I am now. Um, but all this, you know, at the same time, I was still doing all the competition studio stuff. Um, and then I went to school at Old Dominion University and I have a dual degree in dance and education. So I continued my dance life through college. Um, I was on dance team there and I also was a modern dancer and, worked with the dance program uh, in that capacity. And all throughout college, I traveled and I taught dance camps for the National Dance Alliance, which again is feeding that dance team side of my life. Um, And then when I graduated, I danced locally for a few modern dance companies. So again, balancing both of those worlds was awesome. It, It fed me in a lot of different ways, that theatrical dance, you know, the being on stage and being in a a, a big theater, an auditorium, and then also, you know, dancing on a court for a, a basketball game or, or down on the sidelines for a football game. So 
Yeah. Uh, this comes sure. up every every podcast, but uh, you and I have very similar backgrounds. So I did uh, dance team in high school. Yeah. And and also I didn't do it while I was in college. I just uh, was getting my BFA, um, but I was on rosary dance team. And so I still work with them a little bit on their like sideline routines right now and their technique classes. But I love hearing from other dancers when they've made the balance between both because it sometimes seems like it has to be one or the other. Like you have to be a, on the court or you have to be a modern dancer. You can't do both. And I love when I hear successful people talk about how they found a way to balance both of them. It makes me so happy. Yeah. How would you say, I mean, I, I'm uh, so amazed because not only um, have we hit dance team, um, competition dance, uh, uh, modern dance, but also dance education. Like there's so many uh, points on the spectrum there that I feel like you've hit. So um, what I guess I should say, how did your diversity in what you were doing and performing as a dancer, how did that feed into the way you were interpreting kind of your dance education? Meaning that I would imagine someone teaching on dance team is going to have a different approach than going and teach a modern class and going in to teach a competition studio. So was that something that was kind of on your radar or is there anything you can speak to about that? Yeah, I think um, it, it, having that education background allowed me to apply all of those different things that I learned into all of those scenarios. So everyone has a different learning style and that's not just sitting down and learning long division. That's how do you physically move? How do you take up the space around you? How do you space off with one another? Like all of those things are part of an education process for a dancer. And I think it's universal. You know, we say, dance is a universal language. And I think the education of dance is too, you know, there's a perception that um, dance team very often is more uh, cheerleader like, or it's, it's more of that performative, um, yay, cheer the team on. And it's, it's not, there's still that basic technique and that foundational work that you, you work through as a dance educator. So I think, I, I hope I'm hitting on the points you asked, but I know absolutely. absolutely. It's, it's broad. Right. And I learned through that education process that I can teach anyone I can teach anywhere. And we're all kind of doing the same thing, just in a different forum and yeah. in a different place. I love that so much just because I, I think we talk about a paradigm shift in dance, especially with dance education right now um, and how beautiful it is because there's this new approach, I think to mentoring to teaching um to holding auditions to choreographing in the sense of it's not my way or the highway it's mm. let's let's be collaborative let's work together let's exactly what you said everybody learns at different paces and that doesn't mean that you're better or worse than anybody else but so i just have to commend you for going and getting your degree your dual degree because i think that's something that is so so vital to helping pivot that change um that will is for the well-being of all of us as dancers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think there's sort of a culture shift from that sort of hardcore, like, you know, fitting a, a round peg into a square hole. And now it's sort of like you can find yourself in, in the industry. You can find your niche. I think a lot of that comes from that that education basis, you know. That's so yeah. true. So true. And I, I love uh 
it's so funny because I feel like when I was telling people I was going to get my BFA and in dance, it was always like, why would you do that? Like what else is there besides like knowing how to do a plie? What's a dance degree going to get you? But I was thinking about this last night and it is extremely important to be able, your emphasis and education of it. It's so important to be able to communicate well to students. That's a skill set. You don't just learn that how to speak correctly, how to translate moving from your body to another person. That is, takes a lot of education and people just forget, think that there's none of that that needs to be educated about, but it's a long process of training your words and training your thoughts and making sure it's healthy. So with that being said, what were some maybe hurdles or struggles that you came across when you had that emphasis in education? And what was something that kind of surprised you a little bit when you were kind of, you know, diving into that realm? Um, looking at just the education side, I think it's um, it's just so multifaceted. There's again, we talked about you know styles of learning, but then you're also looking at kids who have IEPs, you know, individualized education plans where they they need special learning and they need a different approach that a, a typical classroom can't offer them. And that how do, how do you make that translate to dance? How do you cross that divide? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was a, a big eye opener for me that it's not, we're not all working with typical dancers, typical children, typical, even adults. That or or typical classroom scenarios, like exactly. settings. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to be adaptive and you have to be able to, to apply all of those little bits and pieces you've gained along the way and, and make them work for the scenario or situation that you're in. So I think that was the biggest hurdle for me was sort of wrapping my brain around coming from a studio where everyone was like me, everyone was, you know, an an able-bodied typical dancer and then sort of seeing, okay, how does that apply real world? And then how do I change my way of thinking, right? And broaden my worldview and kind of see how I can make it work more broadly. During my uh, education program, part of it was, being a student teacher in a pullout program for a local city school. And it wasn't a performing arts school. What the program offered was public school kids who maybe wouldn't have dance exposure otherwise to be able to come to a dance school for a single day a week where they would learn dance history and choreography and technique and improv and partnering and all of those things that we've learned in the studio and they got to do it in a public school setting. But when you look across socioeconomical divides and all of those things that can be barriers, um, that was also a challenging thing to work with, I think, but eye opening. I mean, it was, it was wonderful to be able to kind of bring dance to everyone in that capacity. It's, it's, so incredibly important because as exclusive as exclusive as our community may seem, it actually is so important to be able to translate it to everybody and realize that dance is for everyone. And thinking about all the different styles there are, it is yeah. for everybody. There's so many styles I don't know about and that I'm not educated in that I would love to learn, but there is enough to go around for everybody. Absolutely. Sarah, I want to pick your brain about uh, the U.S. All-Star Federation. Can you tell us a little bit about that, uh, where it came from, and maybe how, again, some of this education and your background played into it? Sure. Um, The USASF started a few years ago with really a focus on fairness and safety. So we saw in the competitive world sort of 
a lot of disparity, right? A lot of this competition does this, this competition does this. There wasn't a standard age grid. There wasn't a standard rule set to follow. And so the USASF kind of seek to, to create that so that it's fair play and that also all of the dancers and athletes are safe. Um, USASF governs or oversees both cheer and dance. So all of these USA, all of these things that are important to USASF uh, apply to both cheer and dance. So we, we look at it through both of those lenses, but we realized it was kind of missing in, in both of those arenas. There, there wasn't that fair play or consistency across the board. Um, working in the dance world with USASF is very interesting because I actually don't have a cheer background at all. I don't really know much about cheerleading and certainly I've learned and picked up along the way, but it's nice to see the perception of what all-star dance is not be true. I think a lot of people see it as cheer hop is what we call it, you know, where it's, it's, you're, you're still on a cheer mat and you're wearing sneakers and it's, you're doing single turns because you're going to hurt your knee. Otherwise, like it's, it's not like that. We dance on Marley and we, it's exactly what you see in other, other areas. It's, you know, studio competitions, um, high school dance, all of those things. That's what all-star dance is. So, I think my degree in education has really paid off because I've helped sort of frame what USASF dance can look like for the future and how we can continue to grow and sort of invite in dancers who don't know anything about All-Star um, so they can experience it too. That's amazing. I have a probably a stupid question. <laughs> Do you mind defining safety? For, for me, do you mean safety as in dancers getting injured or 360 of safety of the entire, of all competitions and what exactly that means just to define that a bit f- more for me, because I, I guess I don't, I don't know if it was around when I was in high school, but, uh, for me, I, reflecting on it, I, things were stressful like competitions were stressful, but Alex no and I are laughing because it would always be like, okay, you're dancing on a wood floor that maybe has tape. Also, Sorry. there's like a Starbucks yeah. with a line of 15 people or you can get a snow cone. And then, yeah, yeah. also you're doing 15 dances in three minutes. Go. Yeah, exactly. Thank exactly. you, Taylor. Taylor always knows exactly what I'm I just paint the scene. Way more, way more articulate. <laughs> but yeah, kind of define exactly what safety means because I'm super curious. Well, it, that's it's actually a great question. And Taylor, you're so right. And that is part of it. <laughs> the joys that we endured growing up makes Absolutely. us appreciate and, uh, and and even more express the need for, for what you guys are doing. So. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so it started as safety on the Marley, right? So being progressive in our rules. So, you know, our, our little guys shouldn't be doing stuff that's going to um, compress the vertebra in their neck and could lead to problems later on. And we want to go through sort of the steps to make sure you're progressing in an appropriate way that's appropriate for the dancer. So our rules are leveled. You know, we have what we call tiny mini and then youth junior and then senior open. And if you're competing in any of those, you you do have guidelines you have to follow. And you, you're, I, I don't want to use the word restricted because it's very open. And I think that's another perception that's sometimes incorrect, that it's so restrictive and there's so many rules, but really there's not. We just keep it in the lane of, you know, progression safety for each of those age groups, really. Um, but to your point, Taylor, 
We also have sanctioning guidelines for our competitions where they have to provide, you know, nine strips of Marley with gaffing tape and they have to have a warm-up area that's appropriate and dressing rooms that provide um, private spaces for the dancers. And anyone that goes in the warm-up room at our world competition, they have to be background checked. So there's people around, you know, the kids who who, yeah, who go, and that's unheard of in the dance world, right? Who go through. How have I never thought of that? Like background checks. (laughs) So there's, it's so multifaceted. um, And I keep saying that, so I sound repetitive, but it's safety on the Marley while they're dancing. It's um, safety in their programs. If you're a member of the USASF, as a coach or an owner, you're background checked. Do you go through a safe sport training where you learn to identify signs of um, sexual abuse and those kind of things. So it's, you know, it's safety on so many levels that we bring to our members and our dancers. This is a mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of mind blowing that the commercial dance world outside of this doesn't have kind of a similar thing going on. And we've talked about kind of holding ourselves to a higher standard before. So it's interesting. I mean, there's unions and stuff, but I mean, I, this is really interesting. Background checks really, it, I, I, I think that's something that is so, so necessary that at, like it isn't even on my radar, but now I'm, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm like, what, why not? Like you're in, especially yeah. all these dance competitions, you're in usually a public hotel or convention space with kids of all ages, mostly female running around. And, you know, it's just, it, it I, I think now that you say that, I'm like, yes, of course, every single competition needs that, needs some sort of security team. And then even I think about it, kind of what Alex was just saying in a professional sense of like, um, you think about like wardrobe, there's a lot of times uh, male and female, you know, interchanging within, like I know artist rooms at work. um, And yeah, that's just such an interesting point. Um, and also, side note, a little bit later, uh, as a male dancer, I appreciate you uh, making sure we have dressing rooms because the amount of bathrooms I've changed in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's incredible. I mean, incredible. It must, yeah, it must feel so good to be a part of that. And like, yeah, just raising the bar, like raising yeah, the standard right. and the quality of, of the dance reputation to muggles quote-unquote non-dancers but also <laughs> within our dance community like having that pride and that standard i think is is right. really really beautiful in uh trailblazing that and we're continuing to move forward too it's not just where we exist now we're looking into partnerships um we've recently partnered with a, a program called safe at all star and they provide training for our parents and for our athletes so that they're able to educate themselves as to what to look for and what does grooming look like and how can I protect myself? Excuse me. And then they also offer um, services at events where they're, you know, if, if my child goes missing and I'm one of the safe at all star, you know, app people, I can put it on the app and immediately it alerts everyone in the venue. We know we're looking for, you know, a little five-year-old with blonde hair, everybody keep your eyes peeled. So we're, we're continuing to try to work on these safety measures to, to help keep our dancers safe, our dancers and cheerleaders safe. 
And that way, when people do have a concern, they're not just shouting it out into the abyss. Right. Not sure if it, anyone's going to handle the situation. Because think about how many people attend dance competitions. And I love that you talked about training for parents. <laughs> like, yeah. say, that, say that louder for the people Whoa. in the back. <laughs> like, that's so important because you're part of this community. Absolutely. And it's not, it's not a Dodgers game. There's no guide, like there's no handbook of like, hey, here's going to be your four day weekend where you're in a freezing cold hotel ballroom sitting on a terrible chair, you know, like uh, the experience. So how have you, how have you not necessarily dealt, but contributed to in this day of technology and people being having their phones out all the time and filming things all the time? It's just kind of this whole new dimension that we have to deal with. I know at other dance competitions that I judge at, you know, people are not allowed to record. And I always thought it was because they were taking away from the videographers, but it was because it's an open event and you can't just have people filming things. So how have you adjusted the rules and kind of uh, worked with those guidelines when we're kind of in this technology crazy world? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it is education. So we do offer resources to our um, members studio owners, um, teachers, parents about safety, you know, while filming, while posting, you want to make sure it's not just your kid alone in a picture because it's much more easily edited and, um, predators can take that and and put it out. So you want to make sure you have a bunch of kids in the the video. Um, we also have worked with our photographers who, Um, photograph events to give them sort of insight as to making sure you have the right angles. You know, we don't want the crop shots and (laughs) that kind of stuff. Um, The USASF has created a set of standards. They're called the Athletic Protection Standards, APS, and they sort of guideline those things. Um, We work with our photographers, our costume makers, and I say our, they're not members, but these are the people that we work closely with, you know, in the industry. Um, yeah, to, to educate them, you know, we all have a role in, in protecting these kids. And so it starts with the education for sure. Um, a lot of those same rules apply, you know, not, not videoing well or recording while you're watching this things are still, um, in existence, but I think really our take on it is let's educate, let's get everybody on board. Let's all do what we can to help protect these kids. Absolutely. You bring up a good point, um, which may be a bit of a hot topic, uh, but in regards to costuming, I wanted to get your thoughts on wearing tights in the competitive dance world, because I know there's been kind of this shift, like when Alex and I were kind of in the, the midst of the dance competition world in our high school prime, quote unquote, um, there was this trend where people weren't wearing tights and then suddenly everyone's in Victoria's Secret bras on stage. And I, I, I know it can get, um, a little bit of this gray area. So what is your maybe personal opinion or if you guys have addressed this within costuming guidelines for um, Youssef? Um, we definitely address it um, in that we want to keep everything okay for family viewing. So right. if we get a little too tiny, you know, it, it does get addressed either through our competition producers. Um, at every World's Bid event, uh, we try to make sure or we sanction that there will be a certified legality official on site. So this is a judge that has gone through a training class 
and then has taken a test and they are certified in the rules and the guidelines that sort of cover costuming, music, those kind of things. So if we feel like there's an issue, um, that person will go to the competition producer who will then speak to the program. So we do kind of have a a step-by-step sort of thing. Now, personally, um, I came from the age of tights. We wore tights. Um, I love the athleticism that you see in like the muscular, the work of the dancer that, I mean, that is, it's artistic. It's, it's beautiful, I think, but you have to keep the safety of the dancers in mind. So it's all kind of situational. I think if the bottoms are covered and you're not getting them riding up and it's not high cut and it's sort of like, what is the whole package or what song are we dancing to? Are we I was just going to say context. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Totally. That's where I was going with it. Context kind of guides me with that, I think. So I'm not offended if the, the legs are bare. I love looking at dancers as athletes. I think we all are. Um, but, you know, what's best for those kids? What's best for the performers? What's going to make them feel the most comfortable, right? Because we're all going to perform best when we're comfortable. Um, but then also, yeah, the safety. I always go back to the safety. So well said and so important. Yeah. I think it sounds, it sounds so um, like, like when you're saying as far as like uh, reporting an issue or or costuming, things like that, it kind of sounds like an um, some HR uh, procedures for Uh dance competitions, which is so, you know, put in place to protect employees or in this case dancers. And I think that this is such a, a a beautiful system that I encourage um, other competitions to be a part of, to join, to get more information um, cause I think, yeah, it definitely comes back to safety for dancers. Um, and I, I'm kind of surprised that we've skated along so for so long, um, under these conditions, but, um, that's beautiful. Well, what is Sarah, um, do you, are you, uh, currently like hands-on as far as like teaching or choreographing or anything like that? I work with a few high school teams, actually. So not in the all-star realm, um, doing choreography. Um, I really like cleaning routines, which is sometimes All different. of us. The best. <laughs> you mean, Alex, that is where we're at. The best. I love, yeah, I love going in and kind of you know, picking apart or working spacing or like, oh, the transition. Like that's, I really, really enjoy doing that. So um, I do quite a bit of that during the year, just working with teams that have existing routines and then kind of coaching them on, on what exists already. So that's sort of my, yeah, my life right now in the dance world. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, would you say you're certified in bar? Is that the correct, um, is that the correct terminology certification? Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. And so what, what kind of inspired you to get into that? And then do you still do that now? And do you kind of cross train all of your dancers that you work with with that too? Yes. All of that, all of that. <laughs> all, all of the D, above. all the above. <laughs> exactly. I, I actually, when I was dancing way back when in college, I had a shoulder injury and uh, the doctor said like, eh, we're looking at surgery. And I wasn't, you guys know, you're not ever ready to stop dancing. You don't want to hear, well, you got to take six weeks off because we know that's an eternity in the life of a dancer. So I had a teacher at the time who recommended I start Pilates And I started um, in a traditional classical Pilates environment, working on the reformers, healed my shoulder. um, And uh, not to make a long story longer, the man who used to come in for his lesson before me, um, 80 something year old man, he'd had a stroke. He'd lost mobility on one side of his body. And one day he opened the door for me with that hand that he lost mobility in and he credited it to Pilates. And it was sort of this pivotal moment, like, 
oh, I kind of want to do that. I kind of want to help people feel better. I've seen what it's done for me and I've seen what it's done for others. So I started my Pilates certification. I did a traditional program, um, you know, where I was in the studio all day long, cleaning mirrors, cleaning the machines, observing like a full immersive experience. And I taught Pilates. Um, I'm a third generation certified Pilates teacher. So from Joseph Pilates, I'm only three generations uh, down the ladder from him, which is pretty cool. Um, And I worked at a studio in Northern Virginia and we, the owner was a former dancer and another colleague was a former dancer. And we kind of all had that itch in our brain. Like Pilates is wonderful. We see what it's done, but we want to move like a dancer. We want to kind of get that back into our lives. And so we we created a program called Bar Body and really it was just meant to, to turn dance into fitness for people. So we use plie, we use releve, we use passe, like all of those typical ballet terms, but we turn it into fitness for people. Um, so I think it was sort of, again, feeding both sides that, that holistic, healthy thing that I have, you know, that I want to give. And then also like, well, I'm a dancer and I want to feel like I'm dancing. I want to feel like I'm still moving like I used to with Batmas and, you know, all of that, that kind of stuff. So um, I still teach bar. I took a little time off when I had my son and when we moved, um, but I'm back at it and I love the studio here. And it's been neat to introduce it to a new audience. You know, you get that following and you get those people that always come to your class. And when you move markets, you have to rebuild, you have to rebrand. And it's been a lot of fun to, to bring it to new people now. So I love taking bar. Sarah, Clients? you just took, it's sorry, not- Alex, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you both have so much to I say. Know, I know. I was just going to say, uh, it's very short, but, uh, Pilates and bar clients are the, the people who return the most. Like I always feel like that clientele gets addicted to it and you always hear people are like yeah i've been doing it for 10 years and i don't miss a class and i'm always there it's always with bar and pilates i hear that same thing it is that good that good workout and addiction that people love okay so that was just my little two cents no well i'll agree i'll agree with you alex because sarah you took like we are so on the same page here as far as i also um i teach group fitness so not quite in depth um, as uh, traditional training as as you've received, but um, I teach a variety of group fitness classes here in Las Vegas, including like a Pilates fusion class where we do a lot of mat one and mat two drills mixed in with cardio dancing and you know more like functional um, CrossFit style movements, as well as I teach bar. And it's funny because um, yes, Alex, I think you do get a high retention because there's such a uh, variety of uh, modalities, even within bar, some people, you know, it's, some people are booty bars. Some people is pure bar. Some people are, uh, bar three, which each kind of have their own mindset. But when you find one that works for you, it's like, bingo, this is my language, which I'm so happy that, um, bar body, you guys said that you have more of a dance influence. Cause I find myself too in class. I'm like, good plie to the right and passe, uh, that side lunge toes to knees. <laughs> like I have to like st- st- say it in like nine different dialects to <laughs> communicate what I'm trying to say. But yeah, it's uh, my, my passion for dance and fitness and injury prevention all kind of are in the circle of the Venn diagram right there. And 
I think it's, it's, it's so necessary. And I'm the same way. I had a shoulder injury and, um, had to take six months off in college. And that was kind of my segue into, um, why it helped me, why I love it and why I want to give it back to people. So anyway, sorry, this is not my podcast interview. This know, is yours, sorry. but you, as you're explaining this, I just had to be like, we're the same person. I, I was just going to say, it's like you stole that from my brain. I mean, it's our Venn diagram. Totally. <laughs> totally. Um, Oh my well, gosh, this is so, fun. so, so let's bridge the gap here. Um, as far as we have our dance education, we have our fitness background education. We have, um, this standard and quality of dance instruction working with these young dancers, these high schoolers, what is, um, one or maybe a couple things that you're noticing that are kind of like, ah, red flags of, I don't like this cultural shift. You know, I'm sure you have incredibly respectful students, but even Alex and I, at times, uh, there's some trends that we're like, okay, let's get out of this habit. Let's get off TikTok. Let's X, Y, Z. And, and I may have just spoiler alerted, uh, stole your <laughs> answer, but just a little, I was yeah. saying it's that short-term gratification that TikTok and those short form videos give kids these days it's a i can do something in a second post it and all of these people are loving it and i'm getting all of this you know accolades or these likes or whatever it is and you know life isn't that short i know we say life is short but if you're just living for those immediate moments you're not really looking long term you're not looking down the road and you're not fully developing who you can be so i know that's maybe minimizing this bigger issue, but I just hate how quick and short everything is now and how um, expected gratification is it, you know, I just, we have to work so hard for our craft and for what we do. And it, we should also live in those long-term or those, those longer goals that we've worked so hard for. We've, you know, again, to go back to a Batma, you know, if your hip is down and you're kicking and your toes are eyeball height, and then you've worked hard and now your Batma is way up here. Like you've put that effort in, you've, you've done the work for it instead of just that quick, immediate turnaround. Um, so I think that's a big thing I'm seeing. I also think mental health these days for kids, um, we have to sort of shift the culture of, of teaching to be holistic. It should be mind, body, and spirit, not just body and, and getting or eliciting the perfect form or the perfect technique. Of course, yes, we all want that, but it, it should be balanced with what's going on in their head and in their heart. And especially with the pandemic and being pulled from your studios and not getting to compete I, I think there needs to be a culture shift to, to focus on dancers as whole people. And I think that's only going to benefit the, the industry in the future, you know, to, to really broaden and be inclusive. That's where we start. Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of that comes from, I am very guilty of this. I'm still working through this, but we all put a hundred percent of our eggs in our dance baskets. Mm -hmm. And so when something like a pandemic happens and, and you can't do that anymore. It's like, oh, wait, uh, hold on. And that's, I think, what we can benefit from now is passing that knowledge down to everybody else being like, okay, let's put all of this hard work into this. Let's 
let's commit to this. Let's have this passion. But also like, I love what you said about dancers being whole people, because I think there is that kind of stigma of like, oh, dancers are just dancers. They're super hardcore and they don't have any fun because they're just training all the time and they don't have feelings because we're so used to having thick skin and it's better to, to ourselves work on those goals, but also pass that down, you know, to our students as well. But those are amazing, amazing tips that you, t- t- uh, acknowledgements and advice that everybody I think can benefit from. Yeah. Absolutely. Dance or not like it's, yeah. and, and, and we always talk about how unique dancers are, uh, but really how it's kind of the same format of if you're only obsessing over gymnastics or I don't know, uh, chess or whatever your passion is knitting, like if that's all you do all the time, well then, uh, yeah, it's, 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 you're, you're, you're cutting yourself short. Um, and it's, it's that, that kind of, again, paradigm shift of you have to do this and only this and want this or nothing else. And it's so unhealthy. So, um, I think for all of us as a reminder, yeah, cross train, both physically cross passion, you know, um, as well, like explore the things and yeah, Yeah. things that both Alex and I think at a professional level, even remind ourselves of. Right. Well, and I think one of my biggest pieces of advice would be to work peripherally, right. Dance, eventually it runs out. Eventually your body runs out or your opportunities run out or not, not to be a pessimist, but it, it that's life, right? Yeah. So you can explore these peripheral options or opportunities or interests that you have. There's a way to stay connected to dance, right? You can have a podcast, you can hey. work in relations, you can be a photographer. You, like there's when the, the physical dancing ends, well, what next? And that's where, yeah, you should be a whole person and you should develop these other interests that then can tie you back to dance when dance runs out. Oh my gosh. So So well said. Sarah, we've had such an amazing time having you on today. Um, You've brought up so many incredible points and um, yeah, it's been just really fascinating to hear um, your multitude levels of education and how they all play into your peripherals, uh, your passion for uh, for dance. So um, to follow you, to keep up with you, what's the best way to do that? Are you on Instagram, website? What's the best way to stay in touch? I am. I'm on Instagram um, at S-M-I-L-L-E-R-B-A-T-E. So that's Smiller Bait. Miller Bay. <laughs> that's the best way to kind of get in touch with me and Perfect. yeah, connect. Totally. Before we go, Starbucks order, hit us with that. What's your go-to? It's fall season. So I don't know if that makes a difference. <laughs> I'm not going pumpkin. Um, <laughs> I actually really like the strawberry acai refresher, which is probably not a standard. Uh, <laughs> so when I want like a, just a refreshing, cool drink, that's, that's what I get. Like, um, nice hot coffee. I go skinny white chocolate mocha, one pump with almond milk. <laughs> Yum. Ooh, yeah. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> I love that you said one pump because Taylor and I are both um, people who I never do exact. Like if I were to get a pumpkin spice latte, if I were, I wouldn't let them do the regular pumps. Like no. and Taylor taught me you do one, you do one pump of the flavor and that's usually one enough. or two, one or yeah. two, but you, we have the freedom to change it up, which I love. <laughs> The beauty of Starbucks. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Sarah, thank you again so much. We appreciate you. Uh, Stay well, keep dancing, keep moving, and we hope to be in touch with you again soon. All right. Thanks, guys.